welcome to this latest episode of the Forster's More Than Law podcast. I'm Miri Stickland, a knowledge development lawyer in the commercial real estate team, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Anne-Marie Aguilla, who is Director of Operations in Europe for the International Wellbuilding Institute. And our regular guest alongside Anne-Marie is commercial real estate partner Vicky Towers, who insists on being on all of my podcasts. Um, thank you both so much for joining me today. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Um, so later this evening, Forsters is hosting and sponsoring an Association of Women in Property seminar being held here in our delightful Mayfair offices, um, at which Anne-Marie is going to be speaking on the subject of the well-building standard. Um, so I think we're all aware of this sort of increasing role that wellness programmes and strategies are playing in our workplaces, um, but I'm really fascinated to find out how that's starting to feed into the design and operation of buildings. So, Amory, can you tell us what does the Well Building Standard focus on? Great question. Um, we've been really excited to see the growth of the Well Building Standard since it launched in 2014. Uh, we're now close to six years in, and it really is an opportunity to provide design, construction, and operation guidelines for folks in the property industry who really want to change the, the physical environment where people spend their time. So we do that across 10 key themes, and those 10 key themes revolve around things like air, water, nourishment, light, movement, thermal comfort, sound, materials, mind, and community. And they provide the sort of beginning guidelines that a project can use either in construction or an existing asset to really change the way that that environment can help people thrive. And so how sort of in practical terms does that translate? Well, what it does is it allows, it allows designers and HR teams to really understand if, if we're allowing people to spend upwards of 90% of their time indoors, there's a health cost, there's an impact to that. The human body, as you can imagine, wasn't really designed to spend that much time indoors. So we went out to the market in 2007 with medical research, scientific research, and then obviously the real estate industry, and, and put people in a room and said, if you could design buildings differently today, what would you have to take into consideration that we don't normally think about? And obviously, 10 is a very streamlined reduction of what those concepts were. There were multiples that were brought on the table. But if you think about it, things like air. So what's the quality of air that we breathe? And what happens when the human body is sitting in rooms with improper ventilation? What's the sort of respiratory issues that come from those aspects? And what does the outdoor air pollution do to the buildings? And how can we change both the filtration media and the design of HVAC systems to promote a better indoor air quality? So that's one of the ten concepts. But I think the four that we tend to really focus on, especially when we do performance verification in buildings, is the air quality, the lighting, the water and the acoustics. So if you break those down a bit, water quality and hydration are serious concerns with just basic dehydration. So how do we convince people to start drinking more water and understanding the impact of water on cognitive performance? And then when you take the third concept, again, these are part of the four that we do performance verification on, and you think about lighting. The body isn't supposed to sit in artificial lighting all day long. Our body was designed to be mimicking the outdoor daylight in terms of our hormone levels and changes. So when you wake up in the morning, you have a burst of cortisol and it's time to get the day going. And then as the day changes, you get a change in the daylight, which signifies that 
melatonin needs to now surface so that we can sort of get our body ready for sleep. So you can imagine that if we're spending eight or nine hours in an artificially lit environments, yeah. that rhythm starts to change, and that's what we call our circadian rhythms. And what ends up happening is we have disrupted sleep cycles. Disrupted sleep cycles can move towards obesity, depression, mm -hmm. mental stress, there's yeah. a multitude. So again, it's looking at, and, and those were the top three. The last one that I would really also focus on is acoustic performance. And you know, we've seen so much research in the working environment that shows that folks who are really exposed to noise stress, and that can even be something as simple as disruption, working in open plan offices and getting tapped on the shoulder or listening, over listening to someone else's conversations, that disruption can cause something like 27 minutes for a person to get back to their original task. Yeah. And that's not even including the sort of long-term mental stress that, that evolves from those sort of interruptions. So those four key areas are part of the performance metrics that Wells starts to demand inside these buildings. And at what stage of the development of a building will, um, will clients come to you and ask you to undertake the certification? Is it kind of a case that the earlier on the better because interventions can be sort of put in place? Yeah, I definitely think that the earlier the better. But we're also really aware of existing buildings that have a great opportunity to sort of enhance their profile by building in these 10 key concepts. Um, I think, as usual, just like with sustainability metrics, the earlier that the design team can understand what the performance metrics are, they can build those into the sort of baseline design scope. And I think we're starting to realize that even um, requirements such as policy requirements are starting to be something that both HR teams and facilities and management can start to look at. So we're the first building rating system that I think has been designed 100% for human health and occupation, but actually sits across architecture, engineering, human resources, facilities management, and even corporate real estate. So it's, it definitely allows that dialogue, if we can cross over those silos, silos, could allow for an earlier dialogue. So the earlier the better, but I think with existing buildings, there's a tremendous opportunity when they're going through refurbishment or upgrading to look at some of the things like lighting, mechanical ventilation, hydration systems. And some of those changes are going to be quite significant, but what are the, if you can kind of give an example of a smaller change that people can make to improve the sort of wellness of their building. I mean, can it be something you mentioned encouraging people to drink water? Can it be something as simple as putting more water stations? Absolutely. The, the, the whole idea that the well building standard can actually encourage and develop habit forming opportunities, which is, we call it sort of like making the healthy choice the easiest mm -hmm. choice. So hydration is a really good example of that. If people do not see water, they just won't drink. If you can place strategically hydration points throughout a floor plate, people will drink more and then you'll see an improvement in cognitive performance. Even when we think about food choices, you know, when you look at the way the retail sector designs certain things for you know, catching your eye, whether you're at a retail store or at a food outlet, you can do the same. You can start to change the offering. We decided to look at things like key components around the size of plates, the size of portions, transparency around food ingredients, and you realize that if people are more educated and have that information at hand, they just make better choices. If they don't know that they have a healthier option, then they don't tend to make that choice. So we look at working with the in-house caterer, whoever provides your food, to make sure that there is that element of food transparency, and we make sure that salads, fruits, and vegetables are sort of key components of the food offering. It's not the chocolate bars at the edge of the register. It's about <laughs> making, making real awareness a part of 
the standard. And I think that's the bigger, I think the bigger benefit that we've seen is that we're seeing folks come out of well buildings and sort of take those really fabulous health habits and bring them home. Into their own lifestyle. Into their own lifestyle and into their family's lifestyle and understanding that when you build in education around food, movement is another incredible opportunity Mm. that we have where people spend 90% of their time indoors moving around the space. Isn't sitting the new smoking or something in terms of the detriment to your physical health? Sitting is the new marrying the Henry VIII, which I love. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. So in your experience, if the certification level um, that is achieved um, isn't what was necessarily hoped for, then does that often lead to sort of fitting out redesign at that sort of early, at that early stage? I think if we've, if we've come across projects that do not meet the certification requirements, and again, these are the, those four key components, which are on-site performance verification um, metrics, which are really the hallmark of WELL, what makes WELL different than any other building rating system. We have um, curative action that we can support. So if you happen to come into a building, the VOC levels, which are the volatile organic compounds that can come off of things like carpet and furniture, if those are still in the space and are getting measured, then we can do a building flush out, which means that you're running the building HVAC system and you're pulling those particles out of the air. If you have trouble with lighting, then we can obviously bring in the lighting designer and find out why you're not getting the kind of light quality that you require. And that's where an early input on the design stage is critical, because when you're specifying your lighting, you want that sort of end goal in mind. Um, We haven't really seen projects that struggle too much on curative action, except when it comes to some of the air quality issues, and that can come from pollutants in the environment and from VOCs. But again, building flush out makes that a remedial and and really positive curative action. We we have not yet seen projects that cannot move forward with well, which has been really exciting. And the certification, it's not a sort of one-time certification and then the building has that for its lifespan. It's an ongoing... Yeah, I, think, I think that's the sort of second really strong point about WELL is that it's got this ongoing requirement to recertify because we can't assume that the way that building has been has met its threshold that in three years time everyone's going to keep that into the same quality so that's why again I revert back to that whole alignment with HR and facilities management if you worked really this hard to get your building to a point where it meets all the WELL criteria what you want most of all is an ongoing FM and operations protocol that maintains that really good quality. So when you go for your three-year certification, everything's in line and you've got continuous monitoring that lets you know when things fall out of line or the metrics don't seem to follow through, and you can, you can fix that. So we've got multiple projects now that are already past their three-year window that are going for recertification. That's fantastic, really, because you get the whole buy-in from start and onwards with your employees and the business as a whole. And, yeah, and, and, and that's I think... really encouraging. Exactly, and I think employees want to see that level of sort of employer commitment. Exactly. Because yeah. it's not just like we're doing this... It's a real as investment. A, yeah, yeah, this is a one-time-only badge that we're trying to get. It's sort of an ongoing... It's an ongoing journey of wellness with your employees. And and I do believe that even when you think about corporate wellness programs, you're always trying to do something in one period of time. Like you give someone a gym membership, you sign them up for a smoking cessation program, and you're really hoping that that's going to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. But if you bring people into a well-certified space, they get to work in that space every day of the year. 
you're not pushing things on them, you're allowing them to be exposed to this really healthy internal environment, and then you're continuing the journey as you go. And, and again, that's so that reinforcement that we have strong collaborations with the policy frameworks that HR deploy, then you can actually monitor the progress. And that's yeah. what we've seen. We've seen projects that have come out one year post-occupancy, and they've got reductions in sick time, they've got increased productivity, they've got staff attraction and retention that they didn't have before. And that turns into a really strong return on investment business case. We were talking about that earlier, weren't we, Vicky? Because yeah. we were sort of mulling over. I mean, one of the other sort of questions I was going to ask you is uh, where, which sort of space you're seeing the majority of certifications being undertaken. And, and to my mind, I'm imagining it's predominantly office space. Well, but they, yeah, because I was saying, because I do quite a lot of work in the industrial and logistics space, and actually that one seems to be almost more obvious in a way when you actually mm-hmm. drill down. Because you've you got, drill down to the health of the worker. Exactly, and you've got workers there who are working their socks off for a yeah. solid amount of time mm-hmm. who, and who don't, given the location of some of these sites are in the middle of nowhere and need that offering on site. Well, you'd be really surprised because I think we were all kind of caught off guard about 18 months ago. So let me answer the first question. Yes, so yes. <laughs> the commercial office space was obviously the first target market and they responded really openly and positively. And it was very interesting. First, we saw core and shell developers come forward that said, we want to build a space so that if we have tenants that want to continue the journey in well, that the building has got well core. Then we started seeing that um, the commercial sector was really exciting to take this forward. And I think it's really interesting to, to talk a bit about that because I think there's a, new, there's a new movement between landlord and tenant relationships. And I think it's about a much, much more of a hand-holding, longer-term relationship than it was even five years ago where people would sign a lease, come back in 10 years and revisit that relationship. And I'm seeing that basically because I'm working with people like Grosvenor, Crown Estate, British Land, Land Securities, who just have a a fundamental desire to have a really close-knit relationship with their tenants. So there's no surprises three years down the line. They work with them and and really try and build something that's more based on trust and working together. So I see well as as the sort of tool that's allowing that to happen. We then started seeing... um, movement in the multifamily residential sector and now starting to see that roll into the build to rent sector. So uh, we're looking okay. at the fact that people want to be in a healthy working environment but they really want to be in a healthy home. Yeah. Because all the focus on outdoor air pollution is providing real concern for people. Where yeah. are they spending their time and what's yeah. the sort of safe space for them? But then in 2018 we launched Well Version 2. Well version two was just an incredible change from this sort of focus on commercial property and multifamily residential into a dynamic scorecard, which allows us to work with industrial folks, it allows us to work at retail level, allows us to work at education. So the the scorecard actually calibrates itself based on the occupants. Yeah. So if you're telling the scorecard that you've got people that might be standing for nine hours a day at a a working line and they've got limited daylight and they're working at shift hours, it starts to create a scorecard based on that user. And the same with education, the same with real estate and uh, commercial sector and residential. So we've had we've had an amazing response from the industrial sector. We've had folks like Prologis, which yeah. is an incredibly fabulous global client, who's just put their head up above the parapet and said, 
this is lovely for the people in great commercial office space who already have a good starting point. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But what about the people that are working these crazy shifts and have yeah. really limited aspects to a great, healthy working environment? So Prologis came on board around 18 months ago to help us develop that warehouse industrial building scorecard. Excellent. And now we're seeing it really yeah. grow. It's really exciting. And so, I mean, the increasing demand for it, it sounds like it's neither occupier nor owner-led. It's actually a kind of amalgamation of, of the two of them. It is, and it's, it's just a growing movement because I think they're getting pushed from the occupants and the employees because there's a demand out there for a healthier opportunity or option for almost everything that they have. And we all know that sort of the, certainly in the industrial logistics sector, um, occupiers are struggling to attract employees. Mm-hmm. And so if you can offer this sort of fantastic... Exactly. And um, then they're pieces. looking at it like their workplace becomes the sort of brand of the company. Yeah. And if those employees are spending 90% of their time in there, the workplace actually is a catalyst. You can use that environment to create these places where there's not only just improved productivity, but health, happiness that relationship that they have with their employer that they know they're being taken care of and it's not just for a badge on day one it's an ongoing journey and relationship yeah it's a win-win and so how many buildings have you now got certified globally and um, I suppose more particularly in the UK because we're we're aware the head office of one of our clients Mm -hmm. has achieved the platinum stamp that's Crown Estate maybe So, yeah, we're just interested okay. to say that's a fantastic accolade, I think, for all involved. Yeah, we're really excited, too. I mean, the numbers just keep spiraling. I mean, we've got something like uh, 3,500 registered projects, which represents over 416 million square feet in 55 countries globally. So it's a real global standard. In terms of who's already come through that pipeline and been certified, it's, over, it's close to 200. And in the UK, we've got seven well projects, well certified. And I think in terms of uh, registration, we've got 1,300 in the UK alone. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Europe has been an incredibly growing business for us. Um, I remember the first day for the first project that we registered in 2014, and now we've got, uh, yeah, 1,600 projects in Europe. Yeah. You know, we started in the UK. We had, it was really interesting. We had sort of like a little trifecta. We had France growing, the UK, and the Netherlands. Those were our three markets that, and you can imagine, the French really understand quality of life and work-life balance, same with the Dutch. And the UK has always been so innovative in terms of putting themselves out there first in Europe. And literally in three years, we grew from those three countries to 25 countries and continue to grow. And so the different levels of certification that you can achieve, we mentioned platinum standard which is the the old singing ticking every box so how many different kind of grades of certification are there Uh, it's silver gold and platinum similar to if you're familiar with the lead certification system which is a sustainability rating system yes similar to briam yeah Yeah, briam goes very good excellent and outstanding so those top three tiers are typically the um the different levels and we feel really strongly about working side by side with those sustainability rating systems. We really do feel like you can't choose people over planet, that this is a journey that should be a dual, dual certification. So we've worked really hard to work with BRIAM and LEED and actually do a, what we call a crosswalk. So if your project is going for BRIAM certification, 
you can actually align it with the well certification. And there's almost, I think, between 20 and 27 percent of an alignment, which means that you don't have to resubmit credits twice. So, so we okay. feel really proud of that because we do feel that the sustainability movement has sort of paved the way for building really high quality buildings. And for us to be able to, to see ourselves as the second wave of sustainability means that we're really addressing both the occupant of the building and the planet. And what do you see as the kind of next, the third wave, I suppose, for well standard and wellness movement in general? I mean, I think for us the third wave would, re, would, would really encounter um, government and public policy involvement in health and well-being as well as the sort of education and social housing component. We feel that those three are the sectors that really need to be really getting on board with this topic. And I think even if you look at just the government sector on its own, we all are so aware of like the cost that's being um, attributed to NHS medical cost in this country. It's astounding. And if we could use the building as these sort of preventative healthcare measures to change things like obesity, mental stress, depression, sedentary behavior, there's got to be a direct correlation longer down the line as to reduce time at the NHS and reduce cost. So I think the more that we can get government to really understand these standards, and I think they've done so well with BRIAM, I think the UK is a, is a real shining light in terms of how they've deployed minimum BRIAM standards for buildings going forward. But I think if they really want to see that aggressive shift in you know, country-specific health issues and the associated economic cost to the NHS, I think we need their support to be able to say this is, this is where this belongs. It belongs in minimum guidelines for how we design buildings. Anne-Marie, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure talking to you and we're looking forward to hosting the Association of Women in Property seminar. Um, and for listeners who would like to find out a bit more about Forsters, do head over to our website, forsters.co.uk, or you can follow us on uh, the usual social media channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And until next time, goodbye.